Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Chef Pod. Hi, good afternoon. How is everybody today? Doing good. Amazing. So who do we have today, actually, Jason? Well, Wendy, we have some couple of special guests here today. We've got Dave Mealy, who is the executive head butcher for Fresh City Farms and The Healthy Butcher, formerly the corner of The Healthy Butcher. Dave, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. We also have today Professor Lisa Koo, a nutrition professor here at George Brown College. Um, she graduated with the Bachelor of Science in Dietetics at the University of British Columbia, but also went to culinary school right here at George Brown College. So she has a really strong interest in bridging food, nutrition, and culinary arts, which is perfect for today's discussion. Fantastic. And what are we discussing today, Wendy? Well, I think there's been a couple of themes that have been emerging of late where we can call them trends or just diets, but plant-based and versus better meat or meat in general. Mm, So really an in-depth discussion today on plant-based meats. So, um, jumping right into it over here, has anybody at this table eaten a Beyond Burger or an Impossible Burger or a plant-based meat burger? Yes, actually I have. I've tried it at both A&W, Tim Hortons, and a restaurant, and I also made one at home. Wow, and how was it? What was your thought? You know what? I was really surprised because they're all made by the same manufacturer, but they all tasted and felt a little bit different. Oh, so difference in culinary techniques, maybe different sauces, gave them different feel, different mouthfeel. Yeah, I think for the one that's been launched by A&W, that they actually pre-formulate it and give it to A&W so it has their taste profile or flavor profile. And then one that I got from a restaurant, it had a different texture. So I feel like the restaurant manipulates it or mixes in with other things to give it its own kind of take on that burger. Interesting. I've I've had it, but I was similarly, uh, I guess, impressed that it tasted just like a fast food like a fast food burger. So it's, uh, I don't know. I actually got to participate in Lisa's taste test the other day. It was the very first time I had had a Beyond Burger experience. So I was really excited just to see what all the hype was about. I was, I'm going to admit, a little bit skeptical. I, I do like my beef patties. So it was interesting because the one that we had found from the restaurant was actually quite impressive. I didn't When I did the taste right next to the beef, it was obvious it wasn't. But when I had it on its own, I almost wouldn't have even questioned it. Yeah, my first experience was actually with the restaurant version of the Beyond Burger. And if you didn't tell me it was a plant-based burger or plant-based meat, I wouldn't even know that it wasn't beef. Yeah. What about you, Jason? Have you had one before? Oh, I've had a few of them, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my uh, my wife's an organic farmer, and um, she's actually become vegetarian in the last couple of years. Um, not from for any ethical purposes, but just because of her body. Her body is just not digesting meat the way it used to. Um, so we're a vegetarian about five days a week. Um, my two kids, they, uh, they still love meat and I still love meat as well too, but, um, I approach it more from the ethical standpoint. So I'm, I'm really, we're really concerned about what we put into our bodies and where that food comes from. So, um, we try really hard to not have to, not to have to go to fast food restaurants. And for about seven years, I was able to, to do that. And then over the last year, there were a couple of times where we just, we just weren't we just didn't have enough uh, planning ahead, and we ended up having to go to NW. And uh, yeah, I tried it, and uh, you know what? It tasted like a fast food burger. What really stood out for me was, and I, I know this was the, the attempt at, um, at Beyond Burger and Impossible Burger to replicate the mouthfeel of a of a, a beef burger. And you know what stood out was the the, the little bits of gristle mm. that that were that were in there. It made me feel like I was eating a burger, and it was everything that I expected. It was tasty. It was flavorsome. I also think what you just described was probably one of their number one market points is that they're not trying to target and convert meat eaters into plant-based burger eaters, but that life happens and you're going to still have people who don't plan ahead and have to grab food fast and they do want to know what goes into their body. And some of them are looking at whether it's a nutritional standpoint, a sustainable standpoint, an ethical standpoint. And regardless, they're trying to provide options for that type of demographic. What do you think? I think it definitely accommodates to a big group of people because you also might have people that want to eat fast food as a treat or for whatever reason, and they might not be able to eat regular meat because of religious restrictions. And so a lot of these fast food places don't carry halal or kosher meat. So if you have Beyond Burger, which is plant-based. It ticks all of the boxes. Exactly. It can also hit people that are vegetarian. It can also accommodate people that might be worried about animal welfare and people that just maybe want 
I mean, it's a burger, but maybe they're kind of like on this kick where they want to eat a little bit healthier. So, you know, eating a regular burger just might kind of take them off of that right path. So it's a good option for mm-hmm. that. So Dave, um, you're representing, you're sitting here representing the, the healthy butcher and you're in charge of dealing with all the healthy butcher livestock farmers in Ontario, Alberta, and New Zealand, um, currently numbering over 30 local family farms. Um, you ensure the animals are raised to your exceedingly high standards, that the resulting meat is of premier quality and you also um, oversee a dry aging program. You coordinate with abattoirs, and of course, you ensure the butchers under you are butchering to impeccable standards. So when we're talking about, about ethics and the ethics of eating here, can you give us a bit of a background in, in the healthy butcher and, and your role? I, like I have a magical role in that I get to, uh, I, I get to work directly with producers. And uh, for the longest time, there's a lot of producers who would grow However, the market demands it. Yeah. So a lot of people think that farmers or the industry is out to hurt people or out to make things bad. The reality is there is a dichotomy between price and 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 production of, of what actually wants wants to be done. Um, I I have access to a market group who's willing to pay um, for for basically that you know that sustainability yeah. that that product to be done a certain way so i'm able to talk directly to farmers and say listen if you thought that people will not pay for this i'm here to tell you that they are and so it's amazing the impact that i'm able to have the farmers that i know who have converted uh land that was deemed no longer suitable for agriculture have converted it to highly aggregable land again simply by the use of growing livestock properly or using livestock with soil properly. So am I hearing this correctly? Like you're paying farmers a living wage, you're paying them what they're asking to be paid. Correct. Like it's like, I, there's always bantering about price, Mm -hmm. but the, 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 that's just a marketplace. But in terms of, um, there is no value in undercutting, uh, undercutting a farmer to, to be able to produce something. That's what that race to the bottom is what leads to so much of, of agricultural or why our f- yeah. food system is in sort of disarray right now. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Can I ask a question? So, if a consumer wanted to buy more ethically raised beef, what is the price difference? Is it two times as much? Three times as much? Okay. So, so it's a sliding scale, and so it all depends on how ethical we're getting, right? Mm-hmm. So, and, and and that term ethical is is vastly broad. All right. So, using just beef as as a as an example here. Um, Using beef, right now there's this giant uh, movement towards uh, the restorative agriculture, regenerative agriculture. So using beef as ruminants, their relationship directly with the soil. Um, uh, You're looking for proper forage-fed beef that are doing their job well, uh, and then we consume them after they've done their job well. Uh, You're probably looking at about two and a half times uh, more, right? And that's... That's assuming all other things stay the same, same abattoir, same processing style. Right, that economy doesn't shift. That's right. So yeah. it's like healthy butcher, like like Jason was saying, I, I go into dry aging and, and things of that nature. We're already, like the healthy butchers are already selling the most expensive meat, for, for lack of a better word. We don't sell expensive meat because we want it to be expensive. We're selling well-raised meat. But because we're at that price point, we finish the loop. It's not just got to be... Uh, because it's expensive, it's got to be perfect. So I take outstanding beef that's going to taste outstanding, but then I take it that step further. We dry age it, we butcher it a certain way, we do everything so it, it is more. So yes, it's going to be, it's hard to ultimately compare price like dollars to dollar because I could wet age and, and save the consumer 20%. But if you're buying a Ferrari and it didn't have leather interior, you'd be pretty disappointed. If you bought a Porsche and it didn't have a touch screen. I mean, what you're saying is, I mean, I'd, I'd love to take the word expensive and cost sometimes away from the discussion of food. And what I'm hearing you talk about is actually not making meat more expensive, but adding value to a product that's already of high value in production. So you're creating a level of appreciation for all people along the food system until the final product. So it's not about cost sometimes in just dollar amount, but cost in the entire true value of things. We look at it as like nutrition density. Right. Yes. And so uh, ultimately, um, we make sure our chickens are air chilled as opposed to water chilled. Like it's like everything we can do to make sure our chickens are as nutrient dense as possible. So at the end of the day, if you were to be paying for nutrients as opposed to poundage, 
uh, we would be having very, very different conversations about about food and livestock, right? But consumers are obsessed with this kind of concept of filling their belly, not becoming uh, satiated from what they. Consume. And that's, I think, that's a fantastic point, and, and especially when we talk about the local movement and and the and the organic movement, um, is the actual nutritional value of food, right? The actual nutrients that you're getting in that food. Dave, can I just go back to you uh, and ask you to, to sort of explain to our listeners the difference between dry aging and wet aging? Okay. So, uh, certain with certain livestock, uh, after the the animal has been killed, um, for let's say beef, the carcass needs a period of time to tenderize the muscle. So, natural enzymes that exist within the muscle itself uh, take into effect, and they tenderize, they relax the the, the muscle. Um, and so in the case of beef, all beef needs to be aged a minimum of 10 days. Um, and there are two ways to do it. There's wet aging, which is basically butchering immediately after kill, cryovacking every single muscle and allowing that aging process to happen under cryovac. If you start with a hundred pounds of animal after the aging process, you end with a hundred pounds of animal. dry aging. You take that carcass and you just hang it in a fridge. Um, and there is a certain amount of moisture that is just lost to evaporation plus you get what's called a bloom and a crust on the carcass so you lose in the first 48 hours you'll lose upwards to eight percent just from that crust and that bloom uh, and then you know basically every week that you do it you're losing about one to one and a half percent of your carcass weight so if you started with uh, with a hundred that using that same hundred pounds of, of muscle if you dry age that uh, for five weeks let's say uh, you can have a loss of about 15%. So, in, so, oh, sorry, Wendy. That's okay. I was just saying this reminds me of making a stock and reducing it into a demi or into a jus or consomme. Like you're yeah. intensifying flavor, I imagine. Yeah. And it's, it, once again, it just comes down to nutrition density. So when you sell beef, it's by weight, right? right. So in that case, if you're dry aging it, you're not paying for, the customer's not paying, they're paying more for beef and not so much for water. Because with Cryovac, you're, it's, it has a lot more water. So they're going to be paying for water. So it's, that's also something that is worth acknowledging yeah. that the price point also doesn't reflect water content versus right. beef mass. Well, it does. Like the price reflects it, but the consumer doesn't realize that price is reflecting it, right? Because when you're buying a steak, uh, that nutritional panel does not say the percentage of water mass right. to, to, to proteins. Well, I mean, off the top of your head, we're, we're in the price range right now. Do you know how much it costs for two eight-ounce or four-ounce patties, uh, burger patties of your type of meat? Okay, so our patties are, are closer to seven ounces, and they range about five to five twenty-five uh, per patty. So they're hmm. so they're not inexpensive. Um, they're but like so, we, our patties are probably in around twelve dollars a pound. And what was the Beyond Burger one that you had? Beyond Burger, it's based on a four-ounce patty, and it goes for three ninety-nine per patty. So when we say that expensive meat and it's not worth it, I mean, isn't that an interesting comparison in prices? It's one of the things that that made me really excited about the like the, the these meat alternatives is that their price point. They've actually pushed the price point on meat yes. because if you compare a four ounce patty in a grocery store, let's say at a Longos where you buy a Beyond, um, you compare it to meat options. The meat options are actually cheaper. Yes. Um, I, you know, like ultimately, like if I can just frame a bit of the, a bit of the, the argument between meat substitute and meat, there's a couple of things that really blew my mind. So I went to go see a guy named Frank Reese speak not too long ago. He's a gentleman from uh, eating animals. Mm -hmm. Um, 70% of all chicken being raised is for the processed food industry. So fast food and processed mm -hmm. food, not to be consumed as whole chicken or mm -hmm. chicken pieces, just pro yeah. like basically chicken nuggets and chicken patties. Right. Yeah. 70%. 70. 70% of all chicken being produced. Um, and that it'd be pretty safe to say that the beef numbers would be fairly similar. Um, and there's no question in my mind that raising livestock is, is a huge contributor to so many of the problems of, of what we're talking about environmentally in terms of, and also nutritionally in, in terms of the void. The real problem is though, uh, why are we consuming so much of this, right? Like when people talk about these meat alternatives, they're not talking about eating it at home. They're talking about eating it at, at fast food establishments yeah. and things of that nature. They're, 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 of they're, convenience. Of convenience, yeah. that's right. And and that's 
where it's like, you know, the, the real question doesn't really lie in like, does it affect the healthy butcher? No, it, it's affecting um, the food system as a the, whole, the food system as a whole. And, mm -hmm. and it's addressing that major, that major discussion. Wow. Lisa, you're coming at this from a, from a nutritional perspective. Um, did you want to uh, take a moment and explain to us um, about food labels and uh, ingredient lists? Okay, so I just want to give a little bit of background first about the Beyond Burger when it first came out. There was all these, uh, all these news articles talking about how it's not a healthy burger. Well, you know, it's not designed to really be health food, but it's supposed to be healthier. So when you take a look at the label, it tends to be lower in total fat, lower in saturated fat, contains no cholesterol, but it is super high in sodium, a lot higher than a regular beef burger. Now, people wonder where is the protein coming from if it's a plant-based burger. So on the ingredient list, it says here the first ingredient is water, followed by pea protein. So it's actually pea protein and mung bean protein that are the main protein sources. Now, I want to explain about the ingredient list. Water being the first thing means that in this product, by weight, it has water. Water is the heaviest ingredient. So the way that ingredient list, uh, ingredient label is organized is the heaviest or the Ingredient it contains the most of by weight will be first, and the ingredient that it contains the least of by weight is last. Mm -hmm. Okay, so water is first. Now with beef patties, usually the first ingredient is beef. And this is probably because protein, like pea protein and soy protein or mung bean protein, doesn't contain a lot of natural water. So Dave, what goes into your burgers? Beef. Um, but <laughs> but she's bringing up a very good point because you, they're starting with a dehydrated product and then they're reconstituting. So, of course, water would be added in, whereas most animal protein is primarily water, right? Right. And, and so, so they're, they're, it's a, they have a bit of a disadvantage there. Um, but, like, for me, we have two main burger lines. One is beef, salt, pepper, breadcrumbs, eggs, uh, mustard seed, parsley. That is our mama burger, and we've been making it forever. Um, and then our, our second top seller is just salt and pepper and beef. So, so shouldn't the, the, these plant-based burgers be called a uh, water burger? <laughs> if, the, if the major <laughs> well, ingredient is water? By weight. Well, water does weigh a lot. But if you think about pea protein and mung bean protein, if it's in, say, dried form, I mean, just by its nature, it is lighter. However, I have to speak to the ingredient list compared to a regular beef burger in that, yes, there are a lot of ingredients in this ingredient list, highly processed, whereas with a beef burger, it's beef, salt, and pepper. Interesting. Um, so you also brought, um, for the taste test that you did yesterday, you also brought some other burger um, burgers in. And what were the ingredients in those? Okay, so we not only taste tested various Beyond Burgers from various establishments here in Toronto, but I also brought in three different patties from the grocery store. So I brought, we tried it plain, the Beyond Burger patty plain, so we could really taste it, followed by what I would consider to be, you know, its closest competitor from a plant-based or veg, veg, vegetable patty, which is the Ives veggie burger. And then we compared it against a regular beef burger that was frozen that I got from the supermarket. And in veggie burgers that are soy-based, the main protein is soy, and also the first ingredient is water. Right. Now, we found that even though soy protein, they tend to be healthier from, a, from the nutrition label, they tend to have a lot less saturated fat, no cholesterol, still high in sodium. It is, by nutrition, you know, um, it is healthier than the Beyond Burger or the regular burger, but it was very unpalatable. Un un unpalatable. Yeah. So people would never choose to have that over a regular burger, I find. Actually, the taste panelists even said that if they were given the choice, they would not buy it. So we're, we're, we're really comparing apples to oranges here. Like we're mm -hmm. talking about a highly processed food compared to an ethically raised burger. Um, did you also bring in a, um, an actual burger? What was the, what was the recipe in, a, in the beef burger that was from the high, highly processed uh, okay. option? So with the regular beef burger, I chose one that had a label that had not only beef in it. And this is because I really wanted it to be a fair comparison to Beyond Beef or Beyond Meat. So I had one, this one here, the ingredient label is beef, water, dextrose, salt, beef stock, yeast extract, spices, garlic powder, onion powder, and silicon dioxide. Mm -hmm. 
This is for the specific one. There's various ones, though, and they all range in terms of what ingredients they have. So some are just made from Angus beef. But other ones, you know, have a combination of beef, water, soy, and seasonings. And also the nutrition information does range as well with the different beef patties. So, but I can say that overall, from what I saw, generally speaking, beyond beef is lower most of the time with saturated fat, but tends to be higher in sodium. Mm-hmm. So did anything concern you on that label? Silicon what? Silicon <laughs> dioxide. There's products that are used in, in the meat industry uh, just sometimes to make equipment work. Uh, oftentimes, highly processed meat burgers, uh, they need to go to a variety of machinery, uh, the process of flash freezing and the mm. packaging of, of things. like the, the science behind it all is, is staggering. It's, uh, we're, once again, we're, we're discussing processing. And and it, it's you know the, 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 what's really sad about mm-hmm. food is is the the separation between um, what is real food your connection to the farmer or to food right. the land. and processed food yeah and access to convenience right right and so and that's where like it, it's do I like or dislike like the 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 meat alternatives versus um, commercial farming I. I put them kind of all in the same scale of, uh, like I, I, I personally look at it all as the same. Like the problem is, mm. is when you're looking at that, like when it comes to meat burgers, the amount of retainers that are in uh, meat burgers to basically uh, add tap water, right? Like there's a lot of machinery in, in the meat industry where you can hook up basically a garden hose to the mixing process to just pump these things full of water. So, I'm going to come back to that in a second, but um, silicone dioxide is an anti-caking agent. So it's mixed in with other dried spices to prevent them from clumping and caking yeah. in our foods. But I really like where you're going with this, with this concept of, of we're talking about a, a processing facility and a processed food. Um, Lisa, one of your concerns yesterday was the fact that the number two ingredient in this burger was what? Water. Yeah. So um, when we're talking about water here, we're, what we're talking about is a, is a concept of a meat extender. So for listeners out there, um, anytime you read an, an ingredient list of any sort of processed foods, and this could be processed chicken, it could be ham, it could be like any sort of your, your meatloafs, anything like that, there is an amount of water that can be put into that to, uh, to add moisture to, to the food that you're eating. Now, um, you can't just add water directly into, into these products. You can to a, 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 to a certain extent, but if you add a phosphate into that, what you can do is you can extend how the water bonds to the proteins by a lot more. So in Canada, it's actually regulated by laws. So in chicken, for instance, you can only add 35% by weight to the product that you're making. So when we're talking about cheap food and we're talking about food, highly processed foods, you're going into stores and you're buying foods, you know, if, if you're buying a, a chicken, um, a sliced chicken uh, loaf for $2.99 a pound, and you read the ingredients, number one ingredient is chicken, number two ingredient is water, and then you've got sodium phosphate in there. And what that sodium phosphate is doing is allowing the meat industry to extend the weight of their product to put more water into it. And prevent it right? from seeping out. Yeah, I, 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 during, exactly. During the cooking right. process. Yeah, or, or while it's sitting there at the yeah. in, in the counter so the water is not just seeping right. out, seeping out from the protein. Bleed, that's right. Meanwhile, yeah. educating all consumers that meat can be cheap if they're not going to read the ingredients. They're going to compare on the aisles a two ninety nine patty to a six ninety nine patty to a twelve ninety nine, and they're going to choose the two ninety nine it still sort of tastes like meat. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, that, and that's where now the phosphates come in with salt, right? right? So when we're talking about the high sodium content in in these plant-based burgers, um, I'm wondering how much of that is, is actually the, the, the phosphates that are that are binding, um, binding the vegetable proteins to water to hold to create that juicy, juicy burger. One of the differentiating factors as well with the, with that that separates um, the Impossible Burger and the Beyond Burger from the the rest of the meat industry is that is they've developed a burger that tastes like a beef burger, mm-hmm. so they want it to have that bloody sort of flavor, that high umami. And where do they get that from? Beet juice. They extracted it from beet juice from a compound known as heme. 
to give you that that juiciness and that almost bloodiness that that you would get from uh, from a beef burger. So just crazy fascinating when we, when we talk about the extent where where we're going here. Now, um, the Impossible Burger launch, or sorry, the Beyond Meat Burger um, launched in May first, twenty uh, two thousand and nine, um, but went public their IPO in May twenty nineteen at $25 a share. By June, they'd gone up to $234 a share. And as of yesterday, they're sitting at $81.75 a share. So the public is behind this. They have a huge market share. There is, there is huge hype behind this. I've seen, I've seen um, plant-based oxtail. I've seen, <laughs> plant, I've seen plant-based chicken nuggets. I've seen, plant, I've seen you know, plant-based also buco out there. Like, it's crazy the amount of products that are coming out. Yeah, well, KFC just did a test on their you know, plant-based fried chicken two days ago. So there's a competitor out there right now. It's not Beyond Meat. It's another, it's another company. And they tried it out two days ago to see how it would how it would do. I mean, a whole bunch of companies are racing right now to reach this massive market of meat eaters and trying to encourage them to try their products by mimicking the taste of beef or meat that are not reflective at all like the Ives where it was the vegetable patties of the past. And they're trying to even sometimes mimic... Um, Lab-grown meat. So there's this const- there's this real big rush right now from large companies trying to capture the lifestyle of the convenience and those that are actually just um, inquisitive or wanting to try something for novelty's sake. But there are even companies right now that used to be in the industrial meat um, industry, I guess is what it would be, and now they're actually focusing a lot of their attention and money towards developing something along these lines. Why are we going this direction? I, I kind of think it's a bit of smoke and mirrors. I, I, Interesting. I, I think that there are, right now I've, I've got a number of friends that said that they've quit smoking, but they're puffing away on a, right. on a vape, right? Like they're still completely addicted to nicotine. And as far as I'm concerned, when they exhale, an enormous billow of smoke is coming out of their mouth. So they clearly haven't quit smoking whatsoever. They've just changed the format. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there, it, it is, when you look at some of the, like the beyond meats, like there is, there's a problem in commercial meat production in terms of us not farming meat to produce the, the proper nutrients that a lot of meat should have vitamin D, vitamin E, like there's, uh, as a species, we used to get the majority of our vitamin D and vitamin E and, and various B vitamins from the consumption of meat. Uh, but we're finding that nutrient density, a lot of a lot of our, our livestock doesn't have those nutrients in it because of why is that? Just poor agriculture, right? Mm-hmm. Like like when we raise animals poorly, like uh, it's the same problem with omega threes versus omega sixes. There's a huge like amount of nutrients that we're not getting out of meat. Now that we can chemically produce meat-like substances, has there been any discussion? Like there's a race to the table on getting something into our menus, but is there any discussion on increasing the actual nutrition? Like they could put any nutrient they want in there. Right. But they haven't. There are actually, though, a number of vitamins, for example, B12, that has been fortified in Beyond Burger. So at the end of the ingredient list, we've got the various B vitamins, including B12, which makes it a viable option for vegans right. because vegans don't have any other source of getting B12. So, I mean, could they put in more? Yes. Is it a healthy thing because it has all these fortified vitamins in it? I still think it's a fun food, something to be had in moderation. A fun food. Whereas in my mind, this is similar to you, is that we used I get a lot of my nutrients from a whole food type diet and a lot of my... Um, vitamin Bs and omegas all come from meat, right? And I don't eat a lot of it, but I see it as a complete diet in that sense. But we're now looking at, I don't think it's whether or not it's fun or necessary or a snack food or a mealtime replacement. It's the concept of how we're processing it and whether or not it's beneficial to not just us ourselves now, because if we're eating just for fun, we're completely negating where our food comes from and what is, we're not looking at the consequences of eating 
for fun. And so for my question here is if we want to look at nutrition and we could also then look at environmental purposes, which ones, and when we compare beyond meat burger to a healthy butcher burger patty to a large industrial feedlot burger patty, how does, how do you guys sit and where do you guys see the impact on environment? Um, I, like, I guess when I look at these, these meat alternatives, I, my first question is, what is the purpose? And if the major purpose is to create discussion, then it's succeeded because we're having this discussion right now. And that's amazing. So that I'm happy about, um, my, like the Tara Mario, my, my, uh, my partners with the healthy butcher, uh, they became vegetarians before they opened the healthy butcher for the purpose of if they couldn't find meat that they believed in, that it was, was considered real food, they weren't going to eat meat. Um, so th these are all things that I, I think are like, like so valuable when, so it's like for that reason, for the purpose of discussion, I think that the beyond, uh, the beyond meat discussion is valuable because like it's here and it's causing people to talk. Do I think that it's hit the mark? No. Do I think that uh, in terms of the environment uh, that it has, it, it may be closer to carbon neutrality, but it's not carbon sequestering. Beef are. And if beef are raised properly, they will carbon sequester. They will remove carbon from our atmosphere. They will improve our planet. Can you go a little bit further into carbon sequestration? I love this topic, but maybe our viewers have not heard of it yet. I, I think the ultimate, I think it would be an entire podcast. Yes. On its own. <laughs> um, but the, in, in a nutshell, the, the, the way to look at carbon sequestering is, is how complicated our soil is. And, and the idea that the, our soil is a relationship, is a giant relationship between an enormous amount of living things. Mm -hmm. And so we need, uh, we need animals on top. We need uh, bugs and animals in the ground. We need uh, plants uh, all working in conjunction with each other in a variety of plants and insects, et cetera, et cetera, all working in conjunction with each other. Uh, ruminants like beef have a, an enormous relationship in the maintenance of uh, the plants, um, and they also help feed the bugs with their manure. So the idea is when all of these things are working in conjunction with each other, you are taking uh, moisture and uh, carbon out of the atmosphere and putting it back into that soil. You're creating soil density. Um, so it's not just carbon that's going in there, it's living matter going into the soil. And so, and as we, uh, when you monocrop, you uh, lose an enormous amount of living matter in soil. So we're, we're entering an interesting part of the, the discussion here. Um, just taken off of uh, Beyond Meat, they call it the future of protein made from plants. And as we're talking about um, Beyond Burger versus uh, ethically raised burger, um, when we start going down this path of nutrition, we, we started talking about is it nutrition for, nutritious for you, is it healthy for you? Um, beyond Meat, they, they have four main mandates that they're looking at doing, and that's improving uh, human health. Um, they're trying to create a positive impact on climate change. They're trying to address global resource constraints, and they're also trying to improve animal welfare. And I think that's one of the one of the larger one of the larger arguments that's that's being given as to why one should eat a plant based meat because the the, the the current system that we have, our protein is hurting. The environment, the, 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 it's hurting our, our food system, the way it's being run. As you mentioned before, 70% of, of the chickens being processed in the world are for fast food. Um, when we start looking, we talked about water briefly, but only in, in the process of production. Um, but when we start looking at, at water in, in, in the process of actually raising these animals, beef gets a really, really bad rap. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's been researched by the beef, uh, research board that one pound of beef, like finished weight of beef requires about 1,910 us gallons of water to produce. So what we're talking about here is actually the water footprint calculator. So every crop that is grown requires water. And beef has been getting a bad rap for a while because, as, like we just said, almost 1,700 um, gallons uh, per finished pound 
when we think about that, like 1,700 gallons is an incredible amount of water. So when we look at that from the food waste perspective, like if you order if you order a steak and you and you don't eat half of it and half goes into the garbage, like there's 800 gallons of water that have just gone into that you've just gotten rid of. And it's not just beef. This is this is for all this is for all products that are that are grown. And globally, um, agriculture pr- production accounts for 92 percent of our water footprint. 92 percent just in terms of, of growing food. And this argument goes like deeper and deeper. And some people say, well, let's, let's argue that that's just per pound. But what if we start arguing about per protein, uh, per gram of protein, um, and beef still comes out as, as a top user of water compared to something like peas or something like lentils or something like beans. Um, as we were, as we were taking a, a, a break there a second ago, and by the way, you're listening to, uh, to Chef Pod with Wendy Ma, Jason Ennis, and today, Dave Mealy and Lisa Koo, we have our uh, production managers jumping in with a fantastic question. Danielle Bailey, thank you so much for jumping in today. Thank you. Um, this has been such an interesting conversation to be able to just kind of sit and, and listen to. And um, in listening to it and, and in just being around this conversation on on a fairly regular basis, something that kind of always comes to mind is that, okay, so it's great that we do have these alternatives for people that aren't eating meat um, or don't want to eat as much meat and want to cut down um, on on their meat intake. But something I always kind of have an issue with with the healthier food is that then people check the mar- the the box of I'm eating healthy as opposed to these might not be still healthy choices. They're still highly processed foods. They're still fast foods and and kind of how how unhealthy are these versus the 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 meat based um, options and and Obviously, that's begging a, a deeper conversation of, you know, we need to be changing our, our food systems on the whole to be eating more unprocessed foods. But that's kind of, you know. Okay, great question, Danielle. So I want to speak to that. So when you're having a burger, whether it's a, even if it's plant-based, it's still a burger. Because usually with the burger, you have a white bun, you have all these condiments, and usually you're having it with maybe some fries and a soda. <laughs> so I would say that, you know, don't treat it as something healthy. Don't check off the box. But I will say that for consumers that maybe are thinking about becoming more vegetarian or trying to have more vegetarian meals, to have it available mainstream like this, it's just, it helps with their intention. So I think intention is huge. Okay, if their intention is to try to eat healthier, I'm not saying that Beyond Burger is a healthy choice, but in their mindset, they think that they're making a healthier choice. And I think that that can really help to set them up to continue to make healthier choices. But I will say that there are are healthier things, like what was mentioned earlier, like other vegetarian vegetarian dishes, like vegan chilies, veggie burritos, vegetable stir fries. Yeah, I I was on my way here and I saw an advertisement for a... um, a meat alternative chili. And I kind of, A, I chuckled to myself because I knew I was coming to do this podcast. And I was thinking to myself, we totally missed the mark here. Like chilies and stew is something that vegans have nailed. There are, like you go to India and they have some of the most amazing vegan stews. Like there was no need to put a, a, a highly processed product back into a, a vegetarian right. yeah. Like it was yeah. like Yeah, it was like, you totally yeah. missed the mark. How did we... How did somebody think that that was a good idea? So I would say that I think one of the main marketing standpoints for Beyond Meat is basically to have a non-meat for people that like the taste of meat. Okay, So there are people that maybe like meat and maybe want to eat more plant-based, but it's too big of a step for them to go from meat to like beans and tofu. So I think it might be a good stepping stone. So we're searching for protein flavors here, high umami, like like uh, like a bit of uh, greasiness, you know, like there's a certain amount of fat in there, like this, this, this texture that we're coming from. I don't know. I love chili. And I, I tell you, like TVP and chili or lentils and chili makes a fantastic chili. So uh, it's it's an interesting it's all a very interesting debate because then there's I guess there's my side of it. Like as somebody who retails meat and meat coming from good animals, uh, I, I always try to tell people the human body only needs 160 grams of animal protein and fat per week, mm-hmm. right? Now, most people would think coming from per a butcher, week. 
that would put me out of business. But my objective is to sell people the best animal protein. So I want to be able to reach the entire city, the entire city's need of 160 grams of animal protein. So don't eat more meat, eat less of it, but better. But better, better. Right? That's right. So if you don't need that much, then you might as well get the good stuff. That's right. So comparison-wise, like we in, in the break, we, we crunched the numbers again. And you know, Dave, you're selling you're selling your your patty for twelve bucks a pound. You're buying the Beyond Meat Burger at three ninety nine a patty. You're actually paying fifteen dollars and ninety six cents a pound. That is staggering to me. Like I'm I'm actually thinking to myself, wow, like that's it's good news because it's it means a Beyond that the, these these vegetarian or these meat alternatives are actually raising the bar. So when they're getting people to ask the question, so people who are thinking about converting from eating meat to going vegetarian or vegan because of something like the Beyond Meat, and then they look at the price and they say, oh, wait a minute, why don't I consider now just eating better meat? So Dave, you selling anything at uh, at the Healthy Butcher, um, any sort of meat, meat protein for uh, $15.96 a pound? At $15 or $16 a pound, there's a huge variety of, of meat that you can get that was raised on pasture that is nutrient-dense. So you can get everything from... Uh, like from ground meats to stews. There's a wide variety of steaks that I call secondary steaks. And these are muscles that are uh, not being used. As, like So they're not tough. You can grill them and eat sensational steaks, uh, but in that price point. So it's you can eat some, re- have some really good eating for, for that price point. I think really with Beyond Meat, it comes down to the motivation of why people are choosing this product. Is it because they are vegetarian or actually I feel like vegetarians would probably choose other things because, oh no, it depends on why they're vegetarian. Okay. So there are some people that became vegetarian, but still like the taste of meat. Are they doing it because of animal welfare or the environment? But I really think about if it has to do with, you know, animal welfare or the environment, maybe you don't have to do plant-based, maybe you just have to more uh, shop at places or support farmers that are doing ethically raised beef or sustainable farming practices. So maybe the issue isn't about changing from meat to plant-based, but trying to find more sustainable meat. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I, I genuinely believe that um, like animal welfare, it's like, I try to explain this to, to students of mine at, at George Brown, that I say that animals in the wild aren't necessarily living a, they have a very stressful life in the wild. So the question of welfare is, is a very difficult one because technically animals raised on a farm are raised their environment is supposed to be stress-free and the the highest processed like industrial meat industry is actually they're producing animals that are the least stressed um but definitely begging the question in terms of raising the bar in terms of what how how food interacts with the environment and its interaction with us is is where the real questions need to be asked. Yes, I ask the question all the time of every producer, what is the distance between farm and abattoir? Uh, are they going to an abattoir uh, that is running at a reasonable capacity uh, that has been designed by somebody named Temple Grandin that uh, basically takes into consideration an enormous amount of ethical issues when it comes to the processing of those animals? At the end of the day, when killing an animal, yes, you were there's no question about it. You are taking something's life. That is the relationship with nature. It, mm-hmm. There is all of nature is about uh, relationships of one thing requiring the life of another thing in order for it to continue to yeah. to interact. It's a circle um, of life. It is a, the the very nature of how beef grows. Like uh, beef uses something called a rumen to be able to to create muscle mass and. Most people don't understand that the rumen uh, ferments, ferments whatever it's consumed, and then it digests both what has been fermented, but the bacteria that use the fermentation to build its protein. So the idea of like producing lab-grown or test tube meat is no different than what a beef is already doing. We're just trying, to, our science labs are just trying to mimic nature. nature. Why don't we just allow nature to be nature and let nature do what it does well. What an interesting concept. <laughs> is it really necessary? Is all of this really necessary? It's a good question. But you know what's great? Because it's opened up a lot of conversations. And I have to say that I feel like this is the first plant-based product that has really hit the market at such a 
big level. So because it's at A&W, Tim Hortons, grocery stores, I feel like people actually know about it and are curious about it. Mm -hmm. Who knows if it's here to stay? It could be a novelty. But the fact that I even see TV advertisements about it, I think it's it's a great thing that brings attention to a lot of these issues. It makes vegetarianism awesome in North America. As a butcher, right, I, I will prefer the beyond option at a fast food restaurant over their meat because I feel better about that over their meat. Um, um, so it's like, I think it's a great, I think it's a great product in that context. I don't think it's great that 70% of our meat that's being produced in North America is going to process. Meat. So the, this whole discussion is un, under, under written by the fact that we're talking about a product here that's highly processed and is being used as a convenience food more than anything else. Question. Should the meat industry or is the meat industry worried? I think the meat industry owns it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, I, like the question is, you saw those stocks go from $25 right. to 250 back down to 70 something. Right. Who owns those stocks? This and don't, I wouldn't be surprised if companies like Tyson. They have a 5%. Actually, I read somewhere that, I don't know if it's Tyson, but another large company had actually pulled out their stocks because they were about to invest in their own. But, but this was the, now here, here's an interesting conversation. We're, we're talking about plant-based meats right now. And there's going to be another conversation in season two on <laughs> clean meat. Yes. So there's the difference between plant-based meats or uh, a plant-based is, is made from pea proteins and vegetable proteins. Um, clean meat is actually manufactured. It's actually cell-based meats. So meats grown in a lab from cells. So Dave, I don't know if you're going to be able to come back, but we'd love to have you have on, on that conversation. I'd love to be there. Yeah. <laughs> so so let, let's just come back around to, to this topic. Um, and I'm asking this because Europe right now, there's been, there's been a law put forth um, in the European Union to try and trademark the word burger, sausage, anything that is being infringed upon by the plant-based movement. So are people scared by market share of the introduction to these new plant-based burgers? Because they've existed for years. I mean, when I owned my restaurant, I had a, I had a plant-based burger on my restaurant. Um, you know, high umami, black rice, um, forbidden black rice, um, sun-dried sun tomatoes, mushrooms, black beans. Like I really tried to emulate like a flavor. I knew I never could. Because, you know, it's not meat. So I'm, I'm just wondering. I really hope Europe doesn't fall victim to what's happening in North America where real food is losing the battle here, mm -hmm. right? Like when so much of our overall food production is going towards processed food, that just, to me, it's a question of is real food is losing. Um, yes. Do we need to trademark the name burger or trademark the name bacon I think we need to fight for real food. Mm. I, that's what I think. Like it's like it yeah. really boils down to like a carrot is a sensational vegan sausage. Yeah. <laughs> like, just grill a carrot, throw it on a bun, and you're yeah. done. You have yeah. no additives. No. You, you, you can't see this right now, but Lisa's over here just nodding yeah. and smiling. So, so, so Dave the healthy butcher is over here promoting uh, carrot promoting sausage. Carrot well, sausage. No, Excellent. Like, trademark you're not even really hitting the real issue the bigger issue is the fact that yeah they want to trademark burger but i feel like it's the concern that so much of our food production is going towards fast food so i think it's more about focusing on that issue versus whether you should trademark the name burger right? about a veggie disc i'm really hungry for a veggie <laughs> disc right now i have a lot to say i actually am interested in your feedback on this but um that is not a new thing. So milk, when soy milks and almond milks came out on the market, there was also a huge uproar about... Do you mean M-Y-L-K? No. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, M-Y-L-K. <laughs> no, so um, there was like the dairy farmers, they, you know, they, they also wanted to have certain regulations so that these products could not be called milk. Mm -hmm. Now I'm wondering, when you see soy milk or almond milk, those alternatives, do you think, oh, it's a different product? Or do you think it's just the same thing as cow's milk? I mean, I'm a nutritionist or a dietitian, so I, I know the difference. I know it's not as high in protein and certain nutrients, but I'm wondering, is it necessary to make it that obvious to consumers that it's not cow milk? Well, that I think goes okay? back to the conversation of the disconnect and that there are so many people so disconnected from whole food, where food comes from, the entire food system as a whole, that they have in their back, back recesses of their mind the word milk 
equaled good. And so when they're going to a grocery store today with all that disconnect and they see almond, then milk, they don't think it's from a cow, but they see the word milk and they associate good for you because that's the last time they were taught something about food and nutrition. And I think that's a bigger issue. I think it's really food literacy and education would really help to solve that whole problem and also have a bigger impact. Dairy is such a difficult subject for me because it's... um, uh, it, it's because of how poorly a lot of it is done worldwide. It has such a profoundly negative impact on our environment. Um, when we talk about like water consumption uh, and and urine, go, like urine polluting soil and, and so many factors. Uh, and then the real question is how much of it is absolutely necessary. Uh, and I love dairy. I love ice cream. I love phenomenal Cheese. cheeses. Cheese. Yeah, like it's like, but we are over-consuming dairy so unnecessarily. Um, I wouldn't say cut it out, but the over-consumption on dairy and the overproduction on dairy. Like- one, 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 of the, one of the base um, definitions of sustainability is using a resource so that you're not depleting its ability to regenerate itself. And I think we're, we're heading closer and closer to that every, every day with the amount of, that we're consuming. So that's a great, that's a great point there. I mean, I remember this year alone, we had the ability to regenerate ourselves. The population on Earth today and the amount of resources Earth supplies for us, we have actually completed the ability to regenerate back in August. Yeah. So that's so, like the, the global footprint calculator? That's, yeah. uh, We've been already extended the Earth's resources that are actually more than available to us, but because of our overproduction of so many things and the demand for so many resources that just get wasted, we are already in the negative. The like food and food production, not just livestock, but it's just the the quantities of of waste is stupendous, right? Like the amount of, let's say carrots that are grown, the amount of carrots that are grown that just need to be, uh, that actually make it onto a grocery shelf. You're looking at a small percentage of it. Most crop mm-hmm. that's that's picked actually goes into food processing or into feed like into cattle feed etc yeah. um that is a, but what's really sad like when you look at cattle they don't need they don't a they don't need crop yeah they need like cattle grass. need grass and they don't need to be in highly agrable land they need to be in great plains and numbering in massive numbers to keep those soils active it's you know, the, the reason why we don't do that is because when you have great quantities of cattle in the Great Plains, you have great amounts of predators mm-hmm. that we as humans have to compete with. And that, that also... And I don't think those plains existed the way they once did when, uh, when the buffalo roamed through here, right? Mm-hmm. So in, once, our, once our food system changed to this mass-produced produce system in the, in the 50s, um, we, st- we realized that feeding cows corn... Soy actually made them fattier and, and, and got them to market weight a lot faster. Yeah. So what we're doing right now is we're growing corn and soy to feed to cattle that they're not used to eating. And so our water production, that's why the water production is so high. Labor and yeah. land. When Transportation. Monocropping yeah. and like our, our need to grow uh, everything in straight lines, like having farms that are specifically laid out, don't have any, like they, this concept of weeds and, and herbicides, mm-hmm. like weeds are just an alternate plant from what you're growing in a field. That plant is growing because there is an excess of a byproduct in the soil that the soil wants to try to get rid of. So, so these other alternative plants have been trying to deal with it. And we are pulling these things out of the ground. Like we're we're taking away our soil's ability to try to fight for itself and by re- regenerate. And so like, and because we're obsessed with these lines, like, yeah, it requires a lot of water when you're growing things improperly. When cattle uh, walk on a grass field, they do what's called, um, they, they, they create a natural mulch uh, when they do it. So if you're moving cattle on a daily basis, what ends up happening is they, they push down all of the plant life and that creates a canopy over top of the soil that actually retains water. By not having cattle do this, the the sun evaporates a staggering amount of water out of our soil. So yes, people are right when when they say that like 
When you grow cattle in feedlots and they're just standing in front of a trough eating and you harvest plant and put it into the trough, cattle are not having that interaction with the environment. And that becomes an enormous problem. This is why we overuse water. Like we're doing things unnecessarily. Cattle require something like 70% of all fossil fuels burned is burned just for the livestock industry. Mm -hmm. Like think of that number. And it's because we're harvesting crop and then we're combining crop and then we're putting it in the mouths of beef. Beef don't need that. Like I've been, when I was in New Zealand driving around, thing that struck me the most was that there are no barns. And so and think about that for a moment. Barns in North America are used to store equipment and feed. New Zealand doesn't require that. They have livestock out on pasture fields harvesting their own, right? Like it's like that, that notion to me blew my mind. Like I was like, where are the barns? Like when I think of a farm, I think of a big red barn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and imagine... Farms, as far as I can see, without a single barn. Because wow. I'm very curious in terms of how our system, farming system, is different in Canada than other countries, say in Europe or New Zealand. And I'm wondering, topic for another podcast, but, you know, is it because our system is broken or how do we fix it? I mean, it sounds like, I mean, I would like to say that that is another topic, but broken food systems. However, what it sounds like is that we humans really like to complicate Something that's already been set in place for us to exist on this earth from nature. In the name of hyper-efficiency? Yes. And even this uh, plant-based, going back to the Beyond Meat, we've done something where you said we've just intricately, using technology, tried to interject something healthy that really a plant already does Mm -hmm. through nature. And then farming, that's grazing you know, carbon sequestering, water retention in the soil, all that stuff was already occurring. And then we went and made lines and evaporated (laughs) moisture. And so we are, it's not that it's broken. I think it's the the food literacy, but also agricultural literacy is something that needs to be spoken about a lot more. But is the bottom line and, you know, the profitable, you know, the profits, is that driving that? You know, because if it's more efficient, could you make more and... So, you know, I mean, as a result. Can, can we make it more sustainably efficient? Yeah. Like, think about how crazy this is. Like, I'm just looking at ingredients here, and I'm seeing pea protein, mung bean, rice protein. They've taken all these plants. They've dissected all these plants. They've dehydrated all these plants. <laughs> and then they've put them all back together. Why didn't they just, why don't you just make a salad? <laughs> take some beets. Because take it doesn't beets. taste like a burger. <laughs> <laughs> the long way around the mountain for what? Like, it's like, what's yep. wrong with a salad? Like, yeah. as a butcher, I like eating a salad. When I'm in the mood for a salad, there's nothing wrong with it. Which is a good point because, yes, if you don't want to, so there's some people that want to eat beef, but maybe that's why they're eating Beyond Burger. But I'm saying, you know, if you don't want to eat beef that much, just have a really good burger once in a blue moon and then the rest of the time, eat a salad or have vegetarian. <laughs> where, where, where should we buy our burgers? <laughs> Buy them at the Healthy Butcher or <laughs> HealthyButcher.com or, or at FreshCityFarms.com. This has been a really, really enlightening conversation. And I'd like, uh, I'd like to just give everyone at the, uh, at the table a chance to give any sort of final thoughts on this before, uh, before we thank you all officially. So, um, Lisa. Final thoughts. Okay. So, Beyond Burger. I feel like, I feel like they really have... Uh, done some brilliant marketing because I feel it's the first vegetarian burger that actually is in the meat section. So they're saying, hey, we can compete with beef, but we're plant-based. Is it healthy? I wouldn't consider it a health food. Is it healthier? Yes, but you're having a burger not because you want to eat healthy. But I think it is. it can accommodate a number of people. And at the end of the day, it is pretty tasty. If I can quote Michael Pollan, yeah. or Pollan, it would be, eat food, eat real food, eat mostly plants, Try to eat real food. Yeah. Um, if you're slipping or if you're having fast food on occasion, enjoy it. Um, I don't have a whole lot to add, but it's just been really interesting to sit here and listen to this conversation. And it's just made my brain start running on all the other things that we need to work on and fix as a, as a society. And it's just such a bigger question than just plant-based meat versus a, a highly processed meat meat you know so um it's we just have we've gone so far away from being connected to our food 
on the farm, in the kitchen, what we're eating, that it's just big question. And how do we, how do we go about fixing that and, and making steps towards reconnecting with our food that we're eating? And that's what we're trying to do here on the chef pod. So Wendy, final thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually it was just based on everybody here and I loved this topic and it started with plant-based versus a real meat or a better meat. And what I am taking from actually a professor, Dr. Tara Garnett, that one of our biggest threats nowadays with such a complicated society is that this binary thinking of whether it's right or wrong or black or white. And what I loved about today's topic and all of us in it is that it's not about vegan versus omnivore or chicken versus beef or organic versus industrial. It's not you're right and I'm wrong or if you're for me and you're not against me. It's about thinking all of the aspects and putting it back all back together, connecting the dots again and re-collaborating to fix this food system together. And there isn't something wrong or right about all aspects, but that we can all figure it out together. Try to do as little harm as you can. Eat good meat, eat less of it, eat lots of plants. Yeah. That's what I think, yeah. But um, it's been a fantastic conversation today, and uh, I can see there's going to be another another one <laughs> coming up right away. <laughs> My name is Jason Innes. And I'm Wendy Ma. And you've been listening to The Chef Pod. Where we are sowing the seeds for the future of food. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.